well, um, in the spirit of John Piper, he he says that he he doesn't want to tell a joke at the beginning of a sermon because he feels that that is appropriate. But I, I can't help myself with this one. In this text, we find somewhere some. Uh, in this text, we see that Jesus actually says, "I am divine." We can see it here in verse five: "I am divine." That's a joke. That's the vine. But <laughs> as I, as you, as you might see, it was not that success, successful. So maybe we should not just. It sounds like your dad jokes are growing, Peter. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm maturing my, in my dad jokes, <laughs> but let us now develop in the Word of God together. Christian, what is your ground of faith? What is your security for eternal salvation and, and life? How do you know that you're saved? Today I will try to give my best shot at, uh, to give you hope so that you may believe John MacArthur once said that he, he does not look at himself as a chef, but as a waiter. His job is not to prepare an amazing meal. His job is just to give it to the table and not mess up on the way there. <laughs> so I'll try to give you God's word today so you may feast upon it, and I'll try to, make, <laughs> to do my best not to mess anything up on the way. Um, and as Matt showed us last Sunday, the Lord wants us to be comforted in the knowledge that God has not left us alone. Matt showed us that uh, Jesus told his disciples that they should not let their hearts be troubled and gave us seven assurances in, in John 14. I will only give you two today, although they will have two sub-points in self. But they're heavily loaded with theology and with life. So heavy, in fact, that I've extended our stay here for a few hours. So they will, we'll be here <laughs> until 9 or 10 this evening. No. Although I only have a... <laughs> although I have only like 30 or so minutes, I encourage you all to study this passage for yourself a few more hours later time because there's no chance I will do this text justice in its fullness. But I will give you some solid points to help you in your own study on this later. And I pray that this sermon will be nurturing to your soul, Christians. And to some here, or listening to a recording of it, a warning. The title of my sermon today is Abide in Jesus, as it says in the worship folder. Abide in Jesus. The title itself is short and sweet, but I promise you it's it will be quite powerful, as it's the Word of God that we're expounding. As I said in my introduction, the text is structured with two sections with two points in them. The first section is this part of the vine, where we see this vine vineyard where, with the vine and the branches and the, and the wine dresser. And, um, and then we read about the, the branches that are pruned and the branches that are cut off. And then the second point section we read about abiding love the love God has for us and the love we are to have for one another this is the big idea the big idea of the text the redeeming love of Jesus for his people and what this love leads us to do so let's start with my first section on the vine and the branches looking at verse 1 to 8 in particular I'll call this 
to this point, abiding in Jesus leads to a fruitful life. Abiding in Jesus leads to a fruitful life. As I mentioned, this section is a picture of this vineyard, as we here can read in the text, where branches are pruned to give more fruit, and some branches are cut off. Keeping in, in the, with the purpose that John gives this book as a whole, I will show you how this text in particular will give you hope in your security for eternal life. Or as John says it in, verse, in chapter 20, this is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. As we looked at the previous chapter when Matt spoke, at the end of chapter 14, it ends that Jesus just says, rise, let us go from here. So they're leaving the upper room where they stayed for, for a bit, and uh, they're, on, they're going on their way to Gethsemane. We won't get there in this text or in a few texts, but uh, this is their trajectory. They're going towards Gethsemane. It's the, the Passion Week, as it's called, and it's, it is the last evening before Jesus actually is crucified. So it's a very heavy night, and uh, we will see why John has given this text to us in this night of Jesus to give us hope. So Judas has just left, and he's on his way to the, to the Pharisees to sell out Jesus, to betray him. And Jesus and the disciples are on their way to this place where Jesus will be. Um, I'm in blanked. He will be betrayed. <laughs> and as they walk through Jerusalem in these texts that will follow and this, we will look at this picture of the vine that Jesus gives them. So let's look at it, the text together, verses 1 to 9. 1 to 8, sorry. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear, bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my, glo my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus is here using this picture of the, the vineyard. He himself is the vine, the disciples are the branches, and the father is the vine dresser, the gardener, if you'd say. And the text here is speaking of who is a believer and who is not a believer. One of the most important questions we can all ask ourselves. And uh, I think it's a question that many Christians have struggled with during their lifetime. Am I truly a believer? Am I faithful? Do I belong to God? This is a heaven and hell concern, in fact. But uh, this text will deal with the issue of our hope in the security 
of our salvation and who our Savior is. So as we look into it, I'll, we'll look a little bit at the vine first. And Jesus has several I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now I am the true vine. These I am statements are here to give us a description of who Jesus is, but also to contrast him with unfaithful Israel and its people. This discord is given just after his disciples has asked that, can we see the Father? And he has said, by seeing me, you see the Father. And, uh, and Jesus assures them in chapter 14 that he will be with you. And Jesus says in our text, verse 4, abide in me. He says that that's the only way a branch can bear fruit is if they abide in the vine. The vine dresser, Jesus says that the vine dresser is the father, and he prunes or cuts away branches. And pruning is this agricultural term of gardening. It's about um, removal or reduction of parts of a plant, tree or vine, so, so that you cut away unuseful branches or damaged branches or branches that just takes up the life of the plant and by doing so you make sure that the tree itself and the the branches that can bear fruit can bear more fruit so pruning of an apple tree is a common thing in Norway pruning of uh, cherry trees or whichever wherever you are is a very common thing that you prune vines or trees or branches or bushes to make them bear more fruit um It improves the branch's ability to bear fruit and in shaping the size and the trajectory of how you want the plant to grow, you prune it. And so enables healing for damaged plants and you lay the foundations for better growth. And these branches then, these branches are the disciples there and here now. Jesus wants them and wants us to abide in him. And the one who abides in him yields fruit and are pruned by the Father to bear much fruit. The one who does not abide in him in the vine is cut off. Abiding in Jesus is what every Christian is called to do. Jesus says in verse 7 in our text, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, abiding and asking Jesus, my Father is glorified, verse 8, so that you, that by your bearing much fruit, proves to be my disciples. This picture in itself is pretty self-explanatory. It's the vine, it's the branches, the vine dresser. It's not very cryptic. uh, And it's one of many times where Jesus uses an agricultural comparison. Among others are the parable of the sower, parable of the wheat, the mustard seed, the workers, and the vineyard. So it's a very common way of speaking that Jesus has to show them deeper truths. So it's a very simple picture in a sense of just a vine, a grapevine, uh, but it's, it holds a lot. And vines were used as motifs in Israel generally. The Maccabean period had Jewish coins with vines on them 
and it said that there was a great vine uh, sculpture, almost as in gold, on the temple entrance. And so vines were something that Israel were very familiar with. And Jesus, in saying, I am a true vine, is contrasting himself towards Israel. So if, if you turn to Psalm 80 with me, to our Old Testament text, I, will, I want us to look at some of the verses there in Psalm 80. Psalm 80, verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep roots and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. But as we read earlier in Psalm 80, this vine was broken down, and this being because they were not true to God. But their prayer was, in verse 14 in Psalm, Psalm 80, Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand hath planted, and for the son whom you have made strong for yourself. And verse 17, But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then shall we not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord of God, Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Jesus is again in our text in, in John, in verse 1, saying, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. The final of Jesus' I am sayings, whereby he says that he is God. In Exodus 3, when Moses came before the bush, the burning bush in the wilderness, God declared him, himself to be, I am that I am. And in John, we have seen many times that Jews are, the Jews get really angry with Jesus because he says, I am. He says, ego, I, me, the Greek being. It's just, I am, but it's, I, I am. It's a very, very loaded term. It's not just, I am, but it's, I am. And then it's, I am, these, the shape, the, the sheep, sheep's gate, the bread of life, all these. And now, I am the true vine. And in John 10, it says that I and the Father are one. So the Jews figured out what he meant by it. He, he put himself in the same essence or nature as the Father. And those are the times when the Jews really tried to get him, sometimes kill him. And Jesus has pointed to his divinity all through the Gospel of John. And let us see in chapter, well, I'll read it for you in chapter 5, verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Not, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, they said, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And John eight twenty four, Jesus goes as far as to say that unless we, be, we believe that he is the I am, we will die in our sins. So, this is the nature of Christ, and I'll now show you the nature of salvation. We're going back to the branches. So there's this vine, there's the vine dresser, and two types of branches. 
those who bear fruit and those who do not. So let us look to two of Jesus' own disciples. To, and I hope that this will give you great hope for your own salvation. We have Judas and we have Peter. Two chapters prior, our text, Jesus says that basically one of you, are go- you're going to betray me. Um, and the funny thing, or the really weird thing, I think, is that no one is just saying, It's Judas! Like, no one's pointing out Judas as the obvious sinner. So either the disciples were a little, maybe a little dense, not trying to be crass, or Judas was just outwardly very genuine. He seemed to be the real deal. And Jesus even says, like, I will give this morsel to the one who will betray me. Jesus, now Judas accepts it. And Jesus says, go and do what you're going to do. And Judas leaves. And the disciples are like, why, why did he do that? Like, is it I, Lord? Is it? Even then they don't understand that Judas was the one. But he, Judas was clearly one of these vines, branches that did not continue. Um, they thought that he was going to give money to the poor. I mean, come on. But Judas showed by his life that he was not a true branch. Peter then is boasting that he will die for Jesus. If anyone turns you down, Jesus, I will not, Peter says. I will be the true disciple. And what happens? In a future few chapters, he blasphemes. He denies Christ. He's like, I've never seen the man. Surely he must be one of these branches that will be cut off. But uh, we see that he was not. He was still, despite of this, a true branch. And look to Jesus' treatment of Peter whenever you feel yourself doubting. Peter, he was this flagrant guy who just, much like myself sometimes, just says the thing on top of his head, often just ruining stuff or being obnoxious or making mistakes but Jesus is patient with him and in this example of Peter look to your own life and know that it does not come down to the single facts of your actions or your thoughts or your words but the trajectory of your life and see in Peter and Jesus the faithfulness and the patience Jesus shows him So when you sin, look to Christ. When you feel like you've dishonored his name, look to him and see in this text that he says, abide in me. This is where salvation is found, by abiding in him. Do not ever try to force out fruit of of your lives, but abide in him. The branches do not yield fruit by themselves. but by letting the sap of the vine flow through them and by so giving fruit. So abide in Christ and you will bear fruit. Verse 11 in our text says that these things I've spoken to you that your joy may be in you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Abide in him, he says, and experience of joy and experience the joy of your salvation. Let me get a little bit to the pruning part of this text. As the text says, the 
God is the Father, the Father is the vine dresser, and it is he's he who cares for the vine. Jesus is planted by the Father, and the Father means to bless his people by these fruits. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the Father who is pruning the branches. He is the one who gave his only Son, the high and mighty eternal Son who was with who enjoyed the majesty of heaven and his father became this lowly vine on the ground. He gave up all that for a season to save us. And this is the intention of the vine dresser, that we have eternal life in his son. Jesus describes this process as God pruning the branches and by this text, we see that there are either fruit or there's no fruit. There are no Christians who bear no fruit. You're either a Christian or you're not. And what is the fruit that we yield? It is righteous attitudes, righteous longings, righteous wants. It's not the perfection of our life, but the direction of it. Do you love Christ? Do you Have you turned away from and are continually turning away from sin? These are fruits. Do you love his word? Do you want to, to know it more? Do you want to be, in his, be with him and be with the saints? These are fruits. Ephesians 10, 2.10 says that we have been saved by grace through faith unto good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the proof in verse 8 of our text. If you, if you bear fruit, you are my disciples. So again, it's not the perfection of it, but the dominating direction of your life that determines your fruitfulness. And remember, the Father helps the branches to the direction that he wants them to have. So in pruning, which could be removing dead parts of you or unfruitful parts of you, or parts that are growing in a direction that is not helpful for you. God can prune those away. And it's not violence, but it's mercy. So that the, the branch that we are will bear much fruit by his help. So Christian, what is the grounding of your faith as I open with? What is the security for your eternal life? How do you know that you're saved? By abiding in God's love. In Jesus' love, on Jesus' final evening before his death, he wants to make sure that the disciples did not worry, but that they would abide in his love for them. And how is this love showed forth? By the pruning of the vine dresser. This quote from Spurgeon on the matter. It is the word that prunes the Christian. It is the truth that purges him. The scripture made living and powerful by the Holy Spirit eventually and effectively cleanses the Christian. So from a vine, we look for grapes, and from a Christian, we look for Christian love. Love for Christ, and as well as we will look in the next section, love for one another, for the church. In this text, we see the doom of unfruitful branches, non-Christians, and the promise to the fruitful, the believers. 
unfruitful branches are taken away, their outward appearances and professions prove them not to be believers of Christ. And this is the justice of God displayed against sinners and in kindness to the rest of the branches, this pruning or this removal of dead or damaged branches, as the text says. But fruitful branches are trained up in righteousness. And this is done by removing parts of the branches that the vine dressers deem not well for the, bran- for the fruitful branches. He helps us in our failures and our removing of sin. And by removing it, by drawing us to him and letting us abide in him. We're cleansed by the word of God. And uh, so a question for us all, do you abide in the word of God? I challenge you all to discern the time you spend, as Matt said earlier this today. Do you ever sit down with the word of God? Do you ever sit down with him in stillness and in peace? And although this might come across judgmentally, it's not the intention at all. My intention is the complete opposite. I urge you to spend time in the word to understand, as the Bible says, the breadth and the height and the length of the love of Jesus. So know his love for you and know that this will lead to God being glorified in you and glorified in us and among us. The more we abide in Christ, the more we are pruned, the more fruit we bear. And again, the more we glorify our God and Savior. So this is love that he loved us and we in response love God and our neighbors. Or as this text puts us, one another. And this is the second part of the text, my second point. Abiding in in Jesus leads to love for the church. Abiding in Jesus leads to love for the church. It speaks of the love between the Father and the Son, and between the Son and his disciples. Looking at the text from verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The question I'm trying to answer today is, Christian, what is the grounds of your faith? What is the grounding of your security in eternal life? How do you know that you're saved? The answer is here in Christ's word to us. Remember, John wrote this to us so that we may believe. Jesus is here repeating, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So what is this commandment Jesus gives us? 
how his word should abide in us, verse 7. That you love one another as he has loved us, verse 12. Bear fruit, verse 16. And what will our keeping of God's commandments lead to? These things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. Now look at this. Let's look at this a little more, more fully at my end here in the sermon. So verses 9 to 11 says that the ones who keep the son's commandments abides in his love. Verses 12 to 15 gives us the commandment and the example of this love, or a, an example. And verses 16 to 17 he tells us that he has chosen, uh, chosen to love us, and since he has loved us, he commands us to love one another. Why did the disciples need to hear this message on this night of all nights, this very message? Jesus knows what is going to happen to him and his disciples. So that is what the purpose of this section, even chapter, what is it? Later in this chapter and the next one, we will turn to a more somber expression from Jesus where he says that the world will turn against you. It will try to kill you because they've hated Christ. They have no love for the Christians either. And later on in this week in John, Jesus is going to be killed. He's going to die. So Jesus knows what, it will, what they will feel like, what the disciples will feel. They will feel maybe that Jesus abandoned them Maybe that he failed them. Maybe they would be tempted to go back to Judaism and leave his teachings behind. Maybe they would leave one another and dissolve the fellowship they once had. Maybe they would be tempted to shrink back from their apostleship and not be true to his teaching. But in the prior chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, for he will come back to life. And after that, he will send them the Holy Spirit who will teach them all things and bring to remembrance all the things that I have have said to you, Jesus says. He knows that Peter will deny him. He knows that at, at Gethsemane, only a few hours away, they will flee, scatter, and leave him. Jesus knows that they will need this rallying point So he says, abide in me. He knows that they will need each other. Abide in me and love one another. This is, after all, one of the greatest purpose for why Jesus came. To die as a sacrificial lamb, to purchase free from sin's death, debt, those whom he has chosen. Abide in me and love one another. He says this so many times in this text. He's trying to get it into their heads and maybe ours as well. Abide in me and love one another. Well, we're here today, so apparently Dave eventually got the message. (laughs) So our question then is, why do we need to hear this message? Why is this text given to us? Um, Another part of scripture says that many more things he performed, but if they were to write it all down, all the libraries in the world wouldn't be enough, or all the books in the world wouldn't be enough. But John chose to put this text in here for followers later to read. He says two times in this text that ask what you will in my fa- to my Father in my name, and it shall be, got, be done to you. If we abide in him and his words abides in us, 
Or as Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. If Christ's words abides in us, guides us, monitors us, then by prayer we can ask whatever we want. And Jesus says it will be granted. And what we will have after having the word dwelled richly in us, what we will want to ask for is what is proper for us. We will have such an interest in God's plan, his purpose, his favor, that we will not ask God to give us a mansion or car or any of these silly things. By being transformed by the sap in the vine, if you will, we will be more Christ-like and we will ask him for the things that we know will be beneficial to us, as he says. We know that by him giving us what we want, which will be heavenly things, God will get all the more glory for it. So this is not a free pass to ask for fame or fortune or riches or glory or anything. This would, in that case, show us to be false branches. So let hear, hear me not say that you can ask for whatever, like, oh, I need a new phone. or any, We can ask ask the Father whatever we want, but he says that whatever you ask in my name, according to my name, will be given to you. So be, be courageous and be, uh, how do I want to say it? Ask freely, and God will determine if it's according to his name or not. But don't be shocked if you don't get your sports car this year under the tree. Mm-hmm. But if you abide in him, you might get something much more profound and lovingly and glorifying to the Father. Mm-hmm. We also see in this text that the, the love that Christ has for us and that he laid his life down for us. And Jesus says in the text, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends and he calls us his friends. We're the friends of God. And he wants the disciples to know this when these, all these things happen when he dies, that they will know that they're his friends. He wants them to know that he is dying for them. It's not just, oops, he died. It's a very purposeful death. And in it, he makes them friends instead of slaves to sin. Christ, as I mentioned earlier, the God-man, infinite in power, worth, and honor, laid down his life for us so that by his blood, while we were still sinners, as Romans 5 put it, he died for us. John Calvin puts it, that great reformer, he says, those hearts must be harder than stone or iron, which are not softened by such incomparable sweetness and divine love. And this divine love was shown in that he says to us, and to them and to us, I have chosen you. We did not love him. He loved us first. And our love for him is a response to that initial love. And Christians, see the love that Christ has for you in this text. What does he want this love to be? It's a joy and love one another, he says. This is a commandment even. It's not a, hmm, if you feel like it. 
but love one another. And this this text gives us some examples. It's by uh, calling them friends, communicates his mind to us. The text says that he, he told them what the Father wanted for them. He was ready to die for them and willing to give them whatever they asked for. Go you and do likewise. Verse 12, love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says to his disciples. So to conclude the message, this question that I've brought up again and again, what is the ground of your faith? What is the grounding of your security for eternal life? How do you know that you're saved or not? Or not? To some who hears this maybe. It's if, that Christ loves you and he calls, us, calls you his own, calls you friend, died for you. So now go and love him by abiding in his words so that we, we love one another. This is the ground of our faith that Jesus loves us and he calls us to abide in him, to keep his commandments by loving one another and loving him. So there's no unfruitful Christians. There's only thankful Christians. And by being connected to the vine, we are pruned by a loving father to bear much more fruit than we are already are for his glory and his name. So... And I want to give a warning uh, to non-Christians um, who hears this either here on, on recording. There are only two outcomes in life. You will either be with a father or you will be gathered and cast into fire. Choose this day whom you will serve. Pray that the father will give you one more chance and he will prune you and not cut you off. So turn your hope towards Jesus and abide in him. He spoke those words, that his joy may be in us and that our joy might be full, the assurance of his love for his people.